I'm Theo. And I'm Juliet. And this is Apologies Accepted. We offer an entertaining look at some of the big issues in history by examining public apologies of the famous and infamous. We're looking at politicians, serial killers, actors, and you. Send us a public apology you would like to make, and we'll read it on the air and give you a chance to redeem yourself, or just get some guilt off your shoulders. We're here for you. Once a week, maybe more if you're really, really sorry. Everybody. Everybody, this is Apologies Accepted, the, the podcast. podcast, and I'm not Theo, and I'm not Juliet. I never know how Unusual. to say that differently. Like for 99 episodes, we haven't been each other. Maybe next time we will be each other. Ooh, What's shaking bacon? What a great idea for our next episode! <laughs> I should be you, and you should be me, and then we should imitate oh, each other and end our friendship. I'd have to get a cool T-shirt. <laughs> He's wearing a um, a sparkling, glittery Bruce Lee t-shirt today, everybody, which is really cool, and I want one, so I'm going to have to go online after this is over and see if I can find a glitter t-shirt. I'll send you um, the manufacturer at somebody I'm sure who's out of business. eBay. I'll bet you probably. can get it on eBay. Oh, I'm sure I can get it. I'm sure they still make I mean, come on. Who wouldn't want to wear that? Who they must be Bruce still Lee, selling them. Right. Covered <laughs> in, like, spangles. It's amazing. Uh, so what's shaking bacon? What is shaking bacon is work, 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 and work, which was fine. Same. I did go get a COVID booster. Even Yay, though good for you. I don't did James get one. his too? He gets his on Tuesday. Um, okay, good. And I was not down like I, I typically either. am, but I yeah. for sure was uh, feverish and didn't feel well. And I made sure that everybody knew that I didn't feel well. <laughs> oh. Right. And it was awful because all I wanted to do was go home and yeah. I had to go into the office that day and we had a client in town and I oh. I went into the office thinking, okay, great. She'll be here in the morning and like we'll have our meeting and whatever. And then I'll just go home and I'll lay on the couch and I'll work on my laptop while I lay yeah. down and feel sorry for myself. I need a good yeah. three or four hours of, of crybaby time. And um, she couldn't get there until later in the afternoon, and oh. so I ended up working a full day and I presented oh. every millisecond of it because I didn't oh. feel well. But I'm better that now, sucks. so hooray for me. That's good. Good. Congratulations on getting your booster shot. Yeah, you don't need one because you're immune, right? Totally. That is the whole thing. I'm, I'm, you and James both, I guess. Well, right. I don't know how he doesn't have COVID given all of he the travels. traveling, but so far he hasn't. Um, great. But every other week he thinks he does. Oh, I don't feel well. Do you think I have COVID? I might have COVID. Should we have a COVID test? I need to take that COVID test. Where are the COVID tests? I, honestly, and I try not to be a bitch about it because I see every COVID test as precious and oh, yeah. you've got to hold on to it. And so it's yeah, like... for when you're really sick. Just because you want attention right now isn't a good time to be using a COVID test, <laughs> you know, but yeah, so... Speaking of COVID tests, I was telling you that um, Brent has decided that we could go out to concerts now. I yeah, think. that's right. So, yeah, so we have one, I think, coming up next week, maybe, and then a couple, like, in November, and I, I think maybe one in December, and uh, that should be cool. So not to talk about Brent like he won't hear this, but of course. what do you think was the driver that initiated that change? Because I know he's very... Uh, cautious, cautious and diligent about yeah. maintaining um, COVID. I'm going to say standards. COVID standards. <laughs> COVID standards. <laughs> the COVID standards. I think the the new booster being 
like um a uh, particular for BA four and five or whichever ones it's particular for um helped I, I I don't really know and I'm not gonna ask because um I might I might trigger some fear <laughs> you might convince them that it's too early yet and to chill. You might be like oh you're right we should still be concerned <laughs> let's not go to those concerts that you paid for and concerts aren't cheap anymore so no, they're not. I remember I could go to a show and get in for like five bucks and now it's like oh 50 bucks Oh my God! Remember the was it the Catch Cradle in Chapel Hill? Was that That's what it was called? That's the place called? I'm thinking of, actually. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I'm going to say you could get in for free. Because I knew the woman at the door. But. Okay, that's why I'm thinking that I could get in for free. Because I probably went with you one time <laughs> to some really cool concert that I didn't understand what was happening or how cool it was. Uh, but yeah, those days are gone. Now I have to pay for the two of us 100 bucks to go to see a show that I probably will be too tired the day of the show to go to anyway. So... Uh, yeah, you never know. I might make it to a show one day. And then you get there and you leave 30 minutes later. I didn't know all these people were going to be here. There's too many people. <laughs> That's right. That's exactly right. Yeah. Why did I want to come here? I have to stand. As I was talking to a friend about that the other day, and we were like, we don't want to go to shows anymore where we have to stand. We want shows where we can sit down and watch the show. <laughs> that is why the orchestra is so popular with old people. Because <laughs> you get a seat and you get to sit down. And you get to watch people play an instrument. Yeah, yeah, that's the best. That's the best. You can relax and watch what the people on stage are doing, working hard, and be glad that you're not having to be on stage every night of your life playing the same songs over and over and over. Right, exactly. And there's no jumping around <laughs> to those things either. There's, the kids just sit in their seats and play their instruments, and it's nice. Yeah, it's lovely. Yeah. All right, what about so you? anything else? Oh, for me, nothing. Just the work, like you said. Um, work has been crazy. My company's being bought by a bigger company, so there's a lot going on around that. So that's really it. We were supposed to have a big storm here. I was talking about the weather, the weather update. Um, oh, yes. We are supposed to have a big storm here today and last night and today, but it's not doing anything. It's kind of cloudy, and that's it. So I'm hoping we get some rain because, of course, like everyone, we really need it. But wow, it's bad it. if you need rain in San Francisco. Oh, it's bad. We've we haven't. It hasn't rained here in like a year. Wow. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Um, so keep your fingers crossed for us that we get. Some oh, rain. hey, um, look how that dovetails into our topic for today, which we completely did on purpose. Absolutely. Um, speaking of rain, more than fifteen hundred people. This is depressing. Have died so far in Pakistan as a result of historic monsoon rains this summer, and thirty-three million people have been affected. So um, as as a result, I don't know if it's as a result, but Pakistani film and television actress Rasham has drawn public anger for throwing trash into a river as she went to Charsada to help flood victims uh, on Sunday, I think it was last week. Um, a video of her throwing plastic wrappers into a river went viral, and many people, including celebrities, have criticized her for contributing to Pakistan's environmental problem. So I don't know that she really contributed all that much to Pakistan's environmental problem, but you shouldn't be throwing stuff into a river, especially when you're trying to help people get out of that river affected, affected by a flood. So she went to Charsada, which I think is how you pronounce that, which is in the north, sort of in the northwest of Pakistan. Um, just FYI, uh, it's one in one of the more affected areas. The the most affected areas are in the south, but um, she was in the. I guess in the more affected areas, you can't really travel. So she went to a place that you could get to, um, and the the video showed her getting out of her car on a highway, and she had like what looked like bread and meat. 
uh, and she threw it over the over the bridge to the fish or whatever animals were in the river. I mean, I wouldn't be thinking about feeding fish when there was a flood, but uh, you know, whatever whatever floats your boat, Risham. <laughs> so well, what annoyed? Go ahead. Yeah, no, I'm just gonna say the whole the whole thing's really goofy, but I don't want to move ahead. We'll wait till we get to that part. Right. But I okay. I want to stick a pin in the filming of <laughs> me feeding right. some animals. I'm gonna throw some. Bread and Look how meat good I am for fish, and then I'm gonna absentmindedly throw the trash in after it, and I'm gonna put it on Instagram. But um, yeah, so she threw in the plastic containers and the bags of food came in after she threw the food in, and that's what pissed people off. Um, but uh, after she was criticized, she gave an interview to the Friday Times, which is uh, an Indian paper, I believe, where she said there are more pressing issues to worry about. She called people trolls and tried to justify her actions as offering sadka, which is charity. Uh, and then she said that what she did was a result of mental health issues that stem from the death of her brother. And then she blamed brain fog because she had had COVID-19 twice. So a lot of excuses uh, slash reasons for throwing the the trash over the bridge. Blaming our dead brother is yeah. is pretty out there for uh, for an excuse. That's a bit much. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, she said, "I am in Charsada as we speak. I have been quietly helping thousands affected in the calamity hit district, but of course, people are only interested in trolling me. I do a lot of good too, if people only knew." I have an enviable social media following. Over 600,000 people follow me just on Facebook. That's more than enough publicity for me. I feed hundreds, Rasham told the Friday Times. So I didn't think 600,000 was that much for Facebook, is it? I mean, maybe, maybe. I mean, I, maybe, but no. It's more than I would have, but... Well, it, it's close to what I for have. A, for a star? Like, she's a big star in Pakistan. Well, uh, that... But um, I will say I don't think that's a big number. I don't think so either. But it's enough for her, I guess. It's pretty well, big. We're you used to TikTok. We're used to yeah. seeing like forty-eight million followers and stuff like that. So yeah, <laughs> it's. I suppose Facebook is potentially different. And she said that a lot of her income was spent on charitable and relief efforts. But, quote, people will only comment on that video. And so finally, she issued a public apology on Instagram where she shared a video of herself apologizing to her followers and the nation at large. We'll review that apology in a minute. Um, but just as a note, it, it, to give her credit, it's not the first time she's given charity publicly. There were floods in 2010, and she sent a truck carrying items such as mineral water, beans, and milk to the affected areas. And in 2011, she went to um, a studio in Lahore where she distributed money to actors, technicians, and dancers. And she also organizes feasts for the poor during Holy Month. So she does do some things for charity, and, and I'm sure that she was she had good intentions. And she does them quietly, Yeah. to, to quote her. So they only appear on Instagram. <laughs> and, she, yeah, she only takes pictures of herself yeah. it for her 600,000 followers. I mean, I, I don't want to knock her for doing good stuff. That's great. Please, it's more good than I've done, right? I haven't organized food trucks for anybody. Um, I haven't either. And so, you know, good for her. That's great. But to pretend that we're humble is not the stance to take. You know, just own what you do and, and do it and do good for the yeah. world. Look, everyone, I did some good. Awesome. Yeah. But then to blame everyone else for your mistakes is probably not the best um, approach. And we'll talk about the apology in a minute. But did you have anything else about the, um, the event? Because that's all I've got this month. It might be a very short episode. 
Well, the end, everybody. That's Thank sweet. you for this week's <laughs> See you later, apologies bye. accepted. Uh, <laughs> so not a ton. For me, um, it was very much about Bollywood, right? Oh, very cool. Yeah. So like, I, well, it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's not Bollywood for Pakistan, Pakistan, right? It's, um, uh, I was gonna say Mollywood, but that would be that would be something else. Um, what is it, Lollywood for uh, Lahore? There's there is no way to know. Let's see. But I think it's Lollywood for Lahore. Uh, I could tell you it is Lollywood. Lollywood refers to Pakistan cinema um, based in Lahore. Yay! I was right. Yay! And so my research will mean absolutely nothing because I looked at <laughs> Bollywood. Oh, because okay. I just had it in my head that, of course, she worked in in Bollywood in Indian film, and she was a big Indian star. I, I guess she's a big Lollywood star. She must be. Um, yeah. And so, well, let's look at Bollywood because I'm sure right, that Bollywood probably tracks along with Bollywood in the same way that Bollywood tracks along with Hollywood. Hollywood, right? And so, cool. Let's let's look at it. Um, because that's what I did. Otherwise, it will be a very short episode. <laughs> Bollywood uh, gets its birth in the 1890s in Mumbai with the first uh, cinemagraph screening of a British film. Uh, the first film uh, released in India was Shripum Balik. It came out in uh, May of 1912. It's... Uh. Possibly technically the first uh, Indian film, but film historians will tell you it's not because it, um, they used a British cameraman. It was the recording mm -hmm. of a play. So is that mm -hmm. really a film? And the film mm -hmm. was processed in London. So mm -hmm. kind of the indisputable beginning of uh, true Indian cinema um, is with a film called Raja Harishandra, which was a silent film that was made in India about the life of Jesus. Um, huh. And so it was uh, created by a man considered to be the father of Indian cinema, a guy named Stavius Sahed Falk. Um, uh -huh. So in Easter of 1911, Falk saw a film that was also about the life of Christ and decided he wanted to see Indian culture and gods reflected on the screen. In 1911, he was a photographer, and uh, it started photography during an era in India where the belief was that cameras sucked a portion of your soul out. And so oh. people weren't in a big hurry to get their uh, portraits taken or the photographs uh -huh. done, because if a picture of you is going to suck five years of your life out of you, are right. you in a rush to do that? No, the short answer no. is, right? Um, but by the mid-1900s, that rumor started to die down, and uh, Falk got more, more into film, less into photography, right? And so he started studying the art form, and he read books, and he would spend about five hours a day watching films, so that he could develop a mastery wow. of the forum. Um, and so while his first film was about Jesus, later films were more Indian-centric. Um, because of his film-watching habits and the technology at the time, and maybe also just chance, bad chance, he developed cataracts, which eventually blinded him. 
Um, but he went to London oh. and an optometrist, uh, I don't know how this works, gave him some glasses that allowed him to see again. It's starting to feel a little Joseph Smithy to me right now with magical okay. glasses. But so right. I don't know. It didn't say that he had his cataract scraped off. And I don't know how they right. performed cataract surgery in the early 1900s. Um, but the glasses allowed him to see. And with his um, sight restored, he went on to make the first truly Indian film and oh. uh, then becomes christened the father of Indian cinema. Uh, the 1920s foundation of film production companies and film companies really focused on mythological and historical films. Um, they immediately began imitating Hollywood film formats. Uh, in the 1930s, they were producing about 200 films a year. In 1931, um, sound has developed, talkies and musicals become huge. The Indian film market with the advent of talkies had to diversify. In India, there are over 22 official spoken languages. With silent films, anybody can go in and enjoy the yeah. pictures moving around on the screen. But with sound and language comes diversification. Um, today, India makes films in 16 different languages and dialects. Hindi is the largest and Bollywood is the epicenter of that. So whenever we say Bollywood, we are talking specifically about films that are uh, made in Hindi. Uh, going back to the 30s, 1934, the Bombay talkies included genres that focused on history, uh, something called the Curry Western, and courtesan films uh, where photography and sensual dance are the main focus and purpose of the film. And then, mm -hmm. of course, mythological films. Color comes out in the 30s and 40s. Um, Jivey? Jivey? Oh, my God. Giant movie palaces. That's <laughs> jivey giant giant movie palaces become the norm in India, and this allows the working class to start attending films. Um, because what happens with a giant large theater at certain points, you have to fill it, and so your prices for tickets start to come down. Um, mm -hmm. Initially, workers made up a small percentage of early audience due to cost, and uh, literacy was only about six percent. Um, with talkies, that shifts. So you no longer need to be literate to enjoy a film. Uh -huh. World War II saw reduction in films in India. The government imposed limits on film time and the import of foreign film. After World War II, the India uh, film industry blossoms. The 30s and 40s, which were the Great Depression and World War II, um, were compounded in India by the uh, Indian independence movement, which was the... Uh, uh, end of British colonialism or a movement to end British colonialism. And that was a particularly violent um, period in India. Films were largely escapist with costumes, dances, and mandatory happy endings. Bollywood today has a studio system similar to the U.S. Uh, 1930s studio system. So stars are signed to a contract and they're developed by the studio and they work mm. exclusively for that studio. Um the standard format of a Bollywood film. There are six songs in a movie, three dance sequences, and one Bollywood star. Stars remain the driving force of a film. It doesn't matter about the story. It doesn't matter about the production values. It doesn't matter anything other than who is your lead. Um, 1947, there were changes in India, the end of colonialism. Historical and mythological films had been hugely popular, um, again, because they were escapist. 
But these are replaced in the late 40s and early 50s by socialist reform films critical of Indian society, in particular the dowry system, polygamy, and um, stories about sex workers. Uh, the 1940s saw an explosion in the Bollywood commercial market in India. Uh, 1943, the first blockbuster in India, which cost, uh, which brought in 10 million rupees against a budget of 200,000 rupees to produce. So mm. it's the first film that really made some bucks. Uh, the film was called Kismet, and it focused on social, Indi uh, sorry, social issues uh, that grew out of the Indian independence movement and was the longest running film in India's history until the 1970s. So a massive place in uh, Indian film history. The late 40s through the 60s is considered the golden age of Bollywood. The 50s saw the entrance of the master of Indian cinema, Shah Inji Sray. Um, he originally studied as a painter, but he fell in love with Italian neorealism films that came out of World War II. His films focused on lower classes, previously ignored by the film industry. Ray's films lack the spectacle of typical Bollywood films. His film, The Song of the Road, from 1955, follows a Bengali's boy coming of age and eventually became a trilogy. The film was a hit and won a jury prizes at Cannes, which opened the door to Indian film to the world. 1957 saw the first Indian film at the Oscars for foreign film. It lost by one vote. Uh. 1960s, this era differed from other eras where there was uh, even greater focus on realism understanding of the common man, serious content, political issues, and no dancing. Most popular hmm. were crime films, um, and they tended to go more in the Robin Hood-esque mm -hmm. genre than like a mob, right? Hey. This format gave birth to a template known as the Masala film, which is a mashup of action, comedy, and melodrama punctuated by dance numbers. So the dance numbers start to come back in. Um, the Masala model becomes a template for the modern Bollywood film. The 1970s focused on socioeconomic issues. Uh, there was massive discontent and an explosion of sums, sums, slums, urban uh -huh. poverty, um, anti-establishment themes become the norm. And the 70s starts to become all about cr uh, gritty crime dramas. Greater attention is now paid to plot and character development and dramatic tension but it's still star power that brings in the audiences. And the 80s uh, film output increased to 833 films annually, making Bollywood the largest film producer in the world. Uh, in 1988, Salam Bay, an Indian film, wins the Kamradore uh, uh, and was nominated for an Oscar. The expansion of Indian population grows as uh, India uh, continues to... Um, migrate outwards and that is everything about bollywood that has nothing to do with lollywood <laughs> next time we'll talk about lollywood maybe yeah <laughs> so let's talk about the apology um resham said uh regarding her throwing the trash into the river first of all please accept my apology because what happened shouldn't have happened it happened out of carelessness and was not done intentionally, and for that I apologize to the entire nation. I personally am against littering, and to keep our country clean is our duty. I'm also a human, and every human makes mistakes. So did I. 
She called it the biggest mistake of her career and said she would try to ensure it never happened again. And she ended her video with an apology from the bottom of her heart. So this is a better apology than the one she sort of made in the Times where she said that you know, she was, it was COVID. That everybody else's it. fault. Yeah, everybody else's fault. Um, I think uh, if we look at our criteria, oh, I didn't, um, I didn't get the whole apology because I tried to watch the video, but it was not in English, and I only speak English, so I was not able to translate the apology for everyone. Um, I got as much as I could from all of the newspapers that talked about it from her facial so expressions, got... and you interpreted that. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> And I think I got most of it. Um, and let's look at the criteria now for a good apology. So was there an expression of regret? Yeah, I think so. She said, I mean, I don't know if it was a regret because she got caught doing something bad or if it was regret because she's sorry that she threw the trash into the, into the water. Um, but there was an expression of regret. Um, was there an explanation of what went wrong? Not, I mean, in the first apology, she tried to blame it on everything. And the second apology, she said it was carelessness. So, okay, kind of. Kind of. Um, yeah. Was there an acknowledgement of responsibility? Yes. And she said that she did it. Um, well, she has it to. It's on film. She can't on, blame she, anybody she else she for throwing it. the garbage. <laughs> and she does acknowledge that. There was a declaration of repentance. She said she was sorry. Um, there was not really an offer of repair. Um, she did say, I will try to ensure it never happens again, but she didn't say I'm going to donate to the, the anti-pollution whatever. I, I'm going to jump in here in her Go defense ahead. on this one point, right? Okay. And she was quietly on her way to do some good for some people. And mm -hmm. so I'd say I, I give her like, okay, you're you're doing stuff in the world that's good, and so yeah, oh, okay, you're gonna give her the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, maybe maybe for this one particular instance, there she could have done even more good quietly, but um, even better good, better good, more good. <laughs> <laughs> so um, on that one, I, I'd say gray zone. All right, gray zone for that one, and then a request for forgiveness. Yeah, kind of. She did say she was sorry. Um, she said, please accept my apology. So I think so. So overall for this apology, I mean, I'm kind of torn. I I know because the first one's just so bad. And having the first that, one was so bad. And then the video of her doing it, she just like throws the stuff into the river. Like she wasn't even thinking about it. Like course. she always throws things into the river. It's She's just like, that's what, that's what you do star. with trash. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> She's like, here I am doing this service for people and the animals of the river. And I'm so great. And I'm just going to drop the trash into the river after it. it, it that's just what I'm I do. I'm the so, giving goddess of. That's right. <laughs> so I, I give it, I give it a seven. So how fun, because I'm still very um, haunted by that first apology. And yeah. so I was like, three. And then, really? yeah, I mean, you know, and it just because she was actually doing good, right? Right. He, um, but, you know, then it's the whole, like, what's the word I'm looking for? Hypocrisy of, like, I'm so humble. Look how humble I am. Um, yeah. So, so that set me up to immediately like distrust anything that follows after, because this is a PR agent sitting down with you and saying, yeah, look, I much. know you don't see this as important. 
because right. you threw some bologna to fish. By the way, Rico, <laughs> fish don't eat bologna. <laughs> oh, you know. Maybe. It looked like she was throwing raw meat into the into the river. I don't know who she's feeding. But. Watch a David Attenborough video, you know, learn something about nature. <laughs> uh, but the bread, good for you, because the fish and the Sandwiches. ducks will eat that, yeah. Um, or maybe that was her giving moment to the people. Here, poor people in the water, here's some yeah, bologna here's the fish. bread for you. I mean, fish. <laughs> yeah. If you don't make a sandwich, it will draw fish to you and you can eat the fish. You're welcome, everyone. Right. Um <laughs> So I, I'm going to say she does hit all the marks. She hits all the marks with, I think, the help of a oh. PR agent who probably listens to our show religiously. So, of course. Of course, that's how they hit all the marks. Um, yeah. So I would agree so with a seven. I, I don't accept it, but I give it a, well, but then I feel bad for her because she does do good things. Well, you just got to rate the apology on the face of the apology. I mean, how how, how is it as an apology? It, okay, you, it, we, I we would both give it, give it the same score. Yeah. Wow, that's the first time I think we've given something the same score. Maybe. Um, I'm sure there have been well, others, but it's been a while. Okay. Last okay. week we were we were pretty far apart. I went 9.9 .9 and you were like 3. And you did talk <laughs> me down to a 6.5. <laughs> maybe it was 6.3. But, um, okay. So we we don't really accept this apology. Um, no. But as an apology, it's it's okay. But we don't really accept it because we don't feel that it was honest. And it, well, we don't I just, feel that it... Sure, it's not. It, it's insincere because insincere. the first apology, I think, showed um, who she really is. Right. Right? And hey, there's no, uh, no shade in right. somebody being, like, rich and self-centered and unaware of how the world really functions, right? I mean, go oh, ahead. I totally throw shade that. on that. Uh, I mean, I'm not a fan of it, but <laughs> but I recognize those people are out there and they yeah. don't know how the world operates. And so if it had been yeah. Paris Hilton, I don't think, I don't even think that Paris Hilton was so disassociated from reality. She would have thrown garbage on camera no, into a river. I don't think so. Right? Paris Hilton is actually smart. Yeah, she's, she's very smart. So um, patron saint of our show. Um, yeah, yeah. I just, you know, this is, this is a move that's, that's performed by somebody who is completely outside of normal life. She, yeah. her assistant just wasn't there to pick up the garbage for her. Absolutely. So, so we had, that reminds me, we had it even more right from last episode. We, we do. I was, I was noticing a commonality here between privilege yeah. And uh, something that I may have on well, we. camera, camera, on mic, <laughs> on record, have said. Um, <laughs> and so we have an even writer from even writer. last week. And um, in the show opening, I was talking about traveling on an airplane and the hurdles of going through Titan security. Um, mm -hmm because of whatever it was that had happened this week in, uh, or last week in Texas at Austin when the airport's electricity was shut off for four hours and right. delayed flights and thousands of people impacted. And it was a whole thing. Um, and so what, what I meant to do, I'm going to be crafting this apology slash explanation as I, as I speak it, right? So mm -hmm. uh, our producer Brent flagged that... Um, I came out in support of racial profiling and <laughs> I 
I took that criticism to heart or that observation to heart, sort of, well, hey, Theo, you're, you're really into racial profiling. And, and I was like, you know what? No, 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 no. Um, I'll re-listen to, of course, I listened to every episode and I listened to that, right? And yeah. didn't, didn't trip any of my triggers. I listened right. to the opening of our show and I was fine with it. I probably even laughed at a couple of places. And then after uh, Brent was like, wow, you're really kind of um, a jerk there. I went back and I re-listened to it because in my head, I thought that I was explaining the were, infrastructure, yeah. right? Yeah. And how complicated all that was. And it's easier in terms of producing infrastructure and policies and procedures when you only have to deal with a small segment of the population right. based on race. And right. what I discovered in my soul searching was, of course, I'm totally against racial profiling, right? Yeah. Because that, that can lead to someone's death. And sure. when I think of racial profiling, I think of uh, police officers or people in authority just randomly pulling people out of a line because they happen to be a particular, because they happen to look a certain way. They don't even know that right. somebody is of a particular race when you pull them from right. line, right? Right. Um, and so what I discovered is that I am against racial profiling mostly, most of the time, but I'm for it when it's a convenience for me. And oh, no. So, yeah, because I was like, how did I say this? I must really think that on some level racial profiling is okay if it serves a purpose for the greater good. And do I really think that? And it was, you know, the short answer is probably on some level I do. And uh -oh. that's, you know, going to be due to racism and growing up with uh, white privilege and uh -huh. all of those things. So I didn't know that about myself. And it Interesting. was kind of, a, kind of a moment for me. So, so a learning moment for us. Yeah. I mean, I would say that, of course, I'm against racial profiling, but clearly part of me isn't. And so right. um, would I, if... Um, were I at the airport and somebody pulled a person who looked a particular way out of line because of, I don't know, some perceived threat, right? Uh -huh. Would I allow that person to be abused or victimized? Um, I wouldn't as much as I, any power I have, I right, film right. or join other people to say like, you can't treat other humans like that. Right. Um, but it, it was, a, it was a weirdness for me to be like, God, listen to yourself. You actually are kind of for racial profiling um, yeah. when it serves the purpose of of providing safety for you, Theo, or feeling of safety, right? And so right. Um, I do apologize for um, what I said. I was unaware that uh, that was a part of me. And Interesting. Yeah. So I'm 90% against racial profiling, which is pretty high. <laughs> well, thank you for your honesty. I think that's I really know. cool. Oh, you brave American hero. <laughs> <laughs> and I have to apologize for not arguing with it. And I think I'm going to use this excuse. Um, I think we've known each other for so long that I give you the benefit of the doubt in, in a lot of cases. And I assume um, a, a level of, I don't want to say goodness, but a, a yeah. level of, uh, okay, goodness in 
I'm, in I, you I, that understanding, I, like I, I get understanding. Yeah, that racial if, profiling. If you is say, bad. It, yeah. So I didn't assume that you were for racial profiling when you said kind of. Neither that, did I. <laughs> right. So we we both apologize for um and and we appreciate it being pointed out to us. Um. Well, I don't know that I appreciate it, but <laughs> I, I, guess, <laughs> I, I guess it makes me a better person, which makes me even writer. You're welcome, America. Absolutely. Thank you. Yes. Um, so on to our next segment. Who's sorry now? Um, I am for or... supporting racial profiling in the last <laughs> episode. <laughs> so you're really making this work for you today. Yeah. Um, <laughs> All right. I do have an apology expected, but go ahead. What do you have? Um, so this is probably a very, uh, I think this is big in the news, so I apologize if this is not. Um, I think uh, for the apologies ex- expected and who's sorry now, I've been trying to pick out things that aren't um, super public, but this is kind of more public than, than most, so um, I, if that's cheating, I apologize. But about 50 migrants arrived by plane in Martha's Vineyard, Massachusetts on Wednesday. These flights originated in San Antonio, Texas, and were paid for by Florida Governor Ron DeSantis using over six hundred thousand dollars of state funds. How? How? Two two planes. How did it cost six hundred thousand dollars? That's what I want to know. But it did. Um, I did he buy the planes? I don't know. But he sent a statement to news outlets saying, in part, states like Massachusetts, New York, and California will better facilitate the care of these individuals who they have invited into our country by incentivizing illegal immigration. So fuck you, Ron DeSantis. Fuck you very much. Um, These migrants told NPR that they were told they were being transported to Boston, not Martha's Vineyard. So they didn't even know where they were going. And people in Massachusetts were big mad. Um, The state representative, Dylan Fernandez, who represents Martha's Vineyard, said, we have the governor of Florida hatching a secret plot to send immigrant families like cattle on an airplane, shipping women and children to a place they weren't told where they were going, and never alerted local officials and people on the ground here that they were coming. It is an incredibly inhumane and depraved thing to do. And they were promised so, jobs or help finding jobs. And they were promised jobs. jobs. So they, um, so Andres Duarte, or I guess it's Duarte, a 30-year-old Venezuelan, said he had recently crossed the border into Texas and was sent to a shelter in San Antonio. Uh, and he said, they offered us help. Help had never arrived. Now we are here. We got on the plane with a vision of the future of making it. So um, a lot of those people that happened to be sent to Martha's that were sent to Martha's Vineyard happened to be from Venezuela, which has a, a political and economic crisis right now and has shortages of water, food, and electricity. So sure, they're going to be trying to leave. I mean, who wouldn't be trying to leave? And who wouldn't be trying to go somewhere that was better? Um, totally understandable. And Susan Church, I like this part, um, is a Boston immigration lawyer. And she was some of the, one of the people helping the migrants uh, last week. And she said the migrants are free to go to Florida if they wanted to. I, so great. And go back to Florida or go to Florida and you can be Ron DeSantis's. And the other um, troubling th- there, there's two aspects to this that I find uh, even yeah. more troubling. Right. And uh, one of those is that these people were asylum seekers and they were mm-hmm. going through the legal process of seeking asylum. Right. Yes. These were not undocumented uh, workers who had crossed the border illegally. Um, yes. And then point two, DeSantis sticks them on a plane headed to another state. God knows where. These yeah. people 
don't have papers. They didn't come with passports and driver's license, et cetera, right? Right. And so that's why it costs 600000 because you can't get onto an airplane unless you can prove who you are. Why did that cost $600,000? Because you're going to have to charter two planes. How does that cost $600,000? Yeah. I can charter a plane for less than that. Really? I don't know Can't how much you? it costs to charter. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, you just have to pay. Well, okay. Anyway, who knows? Well, it seems like a lot of money to me. It is, I mean, it does seem like a lot of money. Um, and and I don't know um, <laughs> what it costs to charter a plane. I'm sure it's not $300,000 per plane. But uh, And they weren't big planes because there were only 50 immigrants and they had two planes. So that's like 25 people per plane. So that can't have been that much. But anyway, whatever. Right. So it is, so it is an insane amount of money. Um, but they were, they being DeSantis uh, and team, were sort of hamstrung because nobody had a driver's license. Nobody could, you know, how do you buy a commercial plane ticket? Um, but I mean, all of that aside, the stunts have not stopped. So today, a busload of 50 um, people showed up in front of Vice President Harris's home in oh. D.C. Oh. Yes. Thank you, Governor Abbott. Oh, God, really? Jesus. Yep. yep. And what an so, ass. Who, Jesus has nothing to do with it because, you know, <laughs> he would have welcomed the people and, like, made them happy and situated and comforted them. And well, hopefully Kamala is going to welcome them and help them out and, and, and f- help them find their way. But, I mean, still, what a stupid stunt. I mean. In my opinion. It's, it's and, all they've got keep, is the border because they can't yeah. talk about national security with Trump walking around with top secret documents, oh, scotch geez, tape to his yeah. jacket. Um, <laughs> so we'll see a lot more of this. And it's going to be a lot more, oh, immigrants are taking over the nation kind of thing. And, hey, it's a nation of immigrants. They've already taken over. That's right. That's all we are. Yeah. They're just, used to be white immigrants, and that's what people want to see. Even then, though, the white immigrants had had issues. I mean, you know, look at what the Irish suffered. Well, that's true. Yeah. That's true. And so, you know, it's just, it's any outsider. It's just... Now our migration patterns have shifted and we are seeing more people coming from the south, north, um, as opposed to west, no, east, west for Europe to the U.S. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So that's my apology expected, although I don't really ever expect DeSantis to apologize. I would like an apology, but I don't think it's ever going to happen. Maybe, maybe 20 years from now. Yeah. God, I hope he's dead. Um, oh, no, I hope he lives to apologize, and then we can talk about it on our show. <laughs> 20 years from now. 20 years from now. the show. Episode 20,005. <laughs> Speaking of, next week is our 100th episode. Um, Yay. If we don't have a game plan. We will, though. We're, we've got a couple things on the back burner. So we're going to see what we're uh, what we're going to do, and it'll be something super special. Right. It'll be whatever we do the day whatever we do we it. Whatever we do will be our 100th anniversary. <laughs> right. Episode, 100th anniversary. Is that right? Anniversary? Yeah. Sure. If every episode is, every episode is worth <laughs> celebrating. Anniversary. <laughs> 100th episode yes, celebration. This is our 99th anniversary. Our centennial. Happy anniversary. Oh, yeah. Happy, happy anniversary. Thank you. Um, did you have a who's sorry now? Don't try to get out of it. Oh, um, <laughs> dang it. Um, dang, dang, dang. So I thought I was so clever. Um, oh, you were trying to get out of it by doing the... Uh, well, thing. I That's had fun. my who's sorry <laughs> now, right? But um, yeah, I, I 
don't. I mean, I would then go to Abbott and the Kamala Harris stunt because that's what we just talked about. Um, I, oh, you know what? Okay. Watch, watch how I make this all work. Right. Okay. Great. Perfect. Cool. I think that the British press owes an apology to Meghan Markle. Absolutely. I do not know why Google News thinks that I need to know every single thing that happens to Meghan Markle, but it's all my Google News feed. I've never Googled Meghan Markle. We've (laughs) never done a royal episode. Ooh, we need to do one. Um, (laughs) But for some reason, there's like five stories every day. And that's the case for like the last couple of years, it feels like. How weird. Um, Half of my family, brag, brag, is British. And so... Mm -hmm. um, some aspects of the royal family are do filter into my life, like the Queen's speech every Christmas. Right? It's uh-huh. just the thing that we watch. Um, I have the inner debate of should I stand up to be polite to everybody around me who's standing up, or should I just sit down and be like, I'm an American, I'm just watching TV. There's this old lady <laughs> on it, right? Um, but I typically stand up to, not in respect for the queen, but out of respect for my family's tradition. Family. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so I will say that uh, Meghan Markle has been vilified by the British press. She can do nothing right whatsoever. It's entirely racist, um, even if they don't realize that that's where it's coming from. Um, Certainly with the British public, the the comments on Twitter are are vile. Right. She can do no right. And it's. It's beyond a case. It's just you're damned. It's not you're damned if you do or you're damned if you don't. You're just mm-hmm. damned. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that she will one day get an apology from the British press. I hope but so. it's going to take. I can't. I, it's it's going to take. I want to make a pegging joke about Prince William, but uh. I, but that's in. Poor taste. Oh, gross. Um, well, you've already done it. I sort of have, but <laughs> not, not as good as I as was well going to do. Um, yeah, I was going to say it would probably take Prince William getting pegged in the middle of, um, of what's that bit? Uh, Oxford Circus um, in order for the press to be like, oh, we've been beating up the wrong prince all this time. It's not his biracial <laughs> life. It's it's this guy. Um are you saying people should be should be chastised for being pegged? No, um, <laughs> but the British public would. Oh, uh, okay. Right, and Fair. so yeah, I I don't I should I should be allowed behind a microphone. <laughs> it's what it is. I, sh- I should like Meghan Markle. I am also damned for whatever I say. Yes, that's right. You that's can do right. that right. It's <laughs> <No. laughs> unfair. <laughs> Uh, I do feel bad for Meghan Markle, though. I mean, she she literally can do nothing right, and it's just so sad. And poor poor woman has got to be totally stressed out. And she's probably not even in love with her husband anymore. I mean, it's been however many years they've been married, and it doesn't it doesn't take very many years to fall out of love, right? Except for me and Brett. I mean, we're eternally um, <laughs> eternally fresh, eternally emotionally love yeah, affair. It's but <laughs> always the first date. But um, for most people, it doesn't last very long. I, I don't think. I think she's really in love with him still. I hope so. I I I saw them holding hands somehow. I mean, she's got to be getting something out of this. Um, well, her kids and yeah. and a happy life, and she doesn't seem to 
be like I don't see her running around saying I'm the Duchess of Sussex and you will address me as such, <laughs> right? And so I I don't think she's I don't think it's the trappings of royalty. Apparently, I, like her. I mean I think she's fine. I do too, and apparently that's just why Google News is sending me news articles about her because I do have feelings about Meghan Markle. Who knew? Yeah. But I. Pulling all that from headlines that I read um, that Google forces me to read. So Google is <laughs> forcing me to care about Meghan Markle. Um, so, so yeah. So, yeah, apologies due to Meghan Markle. So, all right. That's it. It's a show. Perfect. So, all right. Uh, we, we did an hour, I think. And I wasn't sure how long this one was going to be, but I think we've got um, an hour. I think last last episode was a little bit shorter, and this one is a little bit shorter than, than some of them. But next week, we'll make up for it. I'm sure we'll have a two-hour-long episode to celebrate it'll be all our about us. episode. It'll be all about Whatever us. Whatever we do. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right, everybody. Thank you very much. Uh, stay cool, cucumbers. Take care, and, everybody. Uh, we love you. See you later. Bye. Bye, everyone. to Apologies Accepted, the podcast. You can find links to the articles and the sources in the show notes. To submit an apology or find out more, visit us at ApologiesAccepted.net, where you can also find our merchandise. We're on Twitter at Apologies Accepted. And on Instagram at Apologies.Accepted. You can support our important work at Patreon forward slash Apologies Accepted. And fuck Facebook. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>